Jesus, we are so glad you came to seek and save us. Thank you for coming and living and dying. Lord, we, we think of our whole community. People are coming to see the lights because you're the light of the world. And Christmas music is playing. And so, Lord, I pray as a church that, that we could have 48 hours of prayer and that we would invite and bring and serve and make room. And, and Lord, that you would draw our friends and family and neighbors to, to faith in you. Lord, thank you for the churches we've helped to plant and those that will be, Lord, gather core groups together and may the core groups of people be so excited about you that they invite others and, and many come to faith in you. Lord, we're thankful that you've given us your word as we open it today. Forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many. May your spirit teach us and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow. When I was in high school, I led a middle school ministry, and we had a camp one year, and on Saturday night, there was a skit night, and this middle school boy thought it would be a great idea to walk out in front of his peers in his underwear. I can't remember what his line was supposed to be, but it seemed like a good idea behind the stage, but when he walked out on the stage, he got in a position like this, and he was, he was paralyzed with fear. What did I do? I was the leader. I just laughed and laughed. It was really funny. <laughs> Smiley, you were terrible, and I am. And he just sat there, and it was... Um, he had some friends, unlike me. <laughs> he had some friends, and they came, and what they did is they picked him up, and they carried him off the stage. This morning, we're going to read a story very similar to that. There's a man who's paralyzed. He's not paralyzed with fear. He's really paralyzed, but he has some friends. He has some friends who come in, and they pick him up, and they bring him to Jesus. Don't we all have family and friends, don't we? And we would love more than anything what that we could bring them to Jesus. Don't we have friends like that in family? And, and that's what we're going to be learning about this morning. We're going to learn to, the point of the message today is that disciples trust Jesus. Disciples trust Jesus. And what I mean by that, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so disciples say, man... Jesus, I want to believe that. I want to believe that you want to work through me to bring my family and friends to Jesus, to, to help carry them to you. And that's why we're doing this series. It's called a fishing trip series, that we're learning to fish from Jesus, learning how to fish for people. And we have three goals in this series. We, we want to let Jesus equip us to fish for men. That's the first goal, and that's important. We want to learn a simple gospel outline that we can use. You hear it every week. There's bad news and good news, and we need to receive Jesus. And then thirdly, we want to learn how important it is that we team up. We team up. And so what we've been doing in this series, if you're new, Jesus had some disciples who've been walking with him for a time, and he called them to take a next step. And Jesus is calling many of you to take a next step. What he said to them is, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And these men dropped everything for the chance to join Jesus and learn how to fish for people. And so we've been going with the disciples on fishing trips. And Jesus has taken us and we've gone into a synagogue and learned how to fish for religious people. And then Jesus took us into a home 
and he taught us how to fish for family and neighbors, and he took us into a community, and now we get a chance. I mean, you ever wish you could have been there when Jesus really fished for men? You have that chance. That's why we're here. Jesus invites us. Let's read about it in Luke 5, starting in verse 17. One day, he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, um, and the power of God was present for him to perform healing. So there's a day, and Jesus is with his disciples in a home, and this home is in Capernaum. We know it's in a home in Capernaum because Mark adds those details. And, and I want us to know now we're in the home. We're in the home. Let's look around the home and see who's in the home. Who's in the home? Well, the disciples are in their home, aren't they? There's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're in there. They're learning how to fish. Who else is in the home? Well, there's some lost people in the home. There's some lost people in the home. Some of the lost people are there because they really want to hear Jesus. They want to hear the gospel. There's probably some lost people there that are kind of rubberneckers. They've heard Jesus is going, has been doing miracles, and they're thinking maybe he'll do a miracle. And then there's the Pharisees there, the, the, the religious leaders. You see, Jesus had healed a leper, and before there was the internet and before there was social media, news spread really fast. And this news of Jesus healing a leper didn't happen all the time. It had spread through all of Galilee and all of Judea. And so the religious leaders had come. Why? Some of them maybe were curious about Jesus, but most of them came because they wanted to prove, to prove that Jesus was not God in the flesh, that he was not the Messiah. Now, let me show you this map a little bit. See Capernaum? That's up on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. That's in Galilee. Now look down at Jerusalem. Where Jerusalem is, that is Judea, and real Jews lived in Judea. One of the reasons the religious leaders struggle so much with Jesus is because Jesus came from Nazareth, and he spent time in Galilee. And, and you remember what the one person heard said, right, when he heard about Jesus? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, that was in the north. Nothing good comes from the north. Some of us southerners feel like that too, you know, right? <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that, but oh well. <laughs> Now, if you look at here, from Jerusalem to Capernaum is about 90 miles. It's a, the, the, so the religious leaders that travel 90 miles, they walked probably a four or five day good, good walk to, to get there. So as we're looking around the home we're in, the disciples are there, and lost people are there, and the religious leaders are there, and who else is there? Right? Come on, say it. Jesus is there. And because Jesus is there, the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Man, if we can just get our friends to Jesus, if we can just get our friends to Jesus, right? And some men were carrying on a bed. It says here, some men, we read in Mark's account that it's four men, and some men, four men were carrying on a bed on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. Paralyzed. Now let's just stop. Can, can you imagine 
not being able to walk. Um, you can't work. You can't feed yourself. You can't bathe. You're completely dependent on other people. Uh, and, and it gets worse because that was long before the American for Disabilities Act. There was no ramps. There were no wheelchairs. And, and it gets worse. And here's why. Because most people then would have believed if you were paralyzed, either you or your parents did something wrong, and that's why you're paralyzed. So not only would you not be able to walk, but you'd be condemned and thought of as a, as a sinful person. But though he had a lot of things going against him, what did he have going for him? He had what? He had friends, four friends, and oh, he had friends. Wow. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. If we can just get them, if we can just get him to Jesus, if we can just get him to Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. You know what his friends? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus, we're willing to do it. Listen, when, it, when they couldn't get in, they didn't give up. They persisted. When there was no room, they found a plan. They were creative. They were willing to take risk. Everyone needs friends like that, right? Who are willing to do whatever it takes to bring us to Jesus to say, come and see Jesus. Do you love anyone that much? Is there anyone that you love so much that your attitude is, listen, whatever it takes, whatever it takes for me to bring my friend to Jesus, I'm going to do that. Listen, every one of us can be those kind of people. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to reach out to people and say, come and see Jesus, come and <clears throat> see Jesus. So notice what it says, not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They're, they're carrying this man on a stretcher. They get to the door, but it's crowded. They can't come in. And as I read that, it made me wonder, am I keeping people from getting to Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Am I blocking the way that there are people who want to get to Jesus and I'm in the way? Am I blocking people or am I more like the friends? Am I, am I, am I doing everything I can to bring people to Jesus, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. A lot of homes then would have had an external staircase, so they carrying him up, up on the roof, um, and they led him down through the tiles with a stretcher, with a stretcher. Now, most of the homes would have had beams, and then they would have had branches over the beams, and then this house had tiles over, the, over the, the branches, and it wouldn't have been that hard to take the, the roof off, but they're certainly taking a risk <laughs> to take the roof off this person's house. Uh, <clears throat> they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher, probably had some rope they lowered him down with, into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. One of the things that a person needs to do as a speaker is to learn how to speak with distractions. Do you speak in front of people? You know what I mean talking about? That it's hard sometimes there's someone on the front row when they're snoring. <laughs> and you have to kind of keep going without being distracted. 
Or, or you hear, uh, you know, a baby crying in the room, or you hear something going on and you keep going. Can you imagine, Jesus, you're in the room and, and you hear the noise on top and then you see some dirt falling down and then you can see the sky and, and, and then there's four guys and they're lowering the sky in front of Jesus. Now, who's missing in the story? Who's missing? Who haven't we talked about? Who? The homeowner, right? What are you doing? I, I'm just picturing, we're meeting for small group and someone's doing that in our house. Karen's going crazy, right? What are you doing? What are you doing? Can you imagine the paralyzed man? I hope this works. I hope this works. Jesus is my, what? My only hope, isn't he? So, so they let him down right in front of Jesus. And the disciples, I'm sure they're looking, this has got to be good. What's Jesus going to do, right? So there he is right in front of Jesus. And it's really interesting. <clears throat> Notice what it says, seeing their faith. So since it's there, it's plural. So it's, it's the faith of the friends and, and perhaps the paralytic as well, seeing their faith, he said. Now what's interesting is often when Jesus heals someone, what does he do first? He asks them what? What do you want me to do for you? But isn't it interesting in this one he doesn't ask the question? He doesn't ask the question, but instead he says, friend. Could there be anything better that he would say than friend? And then notice what he says, your sins are forgiven you. Now I want you to hear that. Jesus says this man's greatest need is not to walk. His greatest need is to be forgiven. And do you realize that is the greatest need of every person? The greatest need of every person is not to walk. It's to be forgiven. You see, we look at the outside of people and we see a paralyzed man and we have compassion and we should. But Jesus looks on the inner man. He sees his heart that he's a sinner and his greatest need is for forgiveness. You want to know why? Because paralysis is temporary. And hell is forever. If someone is paralyzed, they're unable to walk for 70 or 80 years. And if someone dies in their sins, they are in hell forever. Man's greatest need is not to walk. It is to have their sins forgiven. When Dave spoke on this verse last year when we were going through Mark on this passage, he said it's better to be carried into heaven than to walk into hell. You ever think about that? It's better. It's better not to be able to walk for a few years and spend all of eternity with Jesus than to have all the health in the world and to die in your sins. And so Jesus was teaching them and us the greatest need of every person is forgiveness. The greatest need of every person is to find a Savior named Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? to speak against God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Now, I want you to know the religious leaders got some things very right. They understood that only God can forgive sins. You know why that is? Do you? Do you know what sin is? Sin is a crime against God. So the, the reason only God can forgive sin is because sin is against God. And, um, and so they were right that only God can forgive sin because sin is a crime against God. And they also understood rightly that when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, Jesus was claiming to be God. They got all of that right. What they got wrong was they couldn't see the person in front of them was God in the flesh. They couldn't see the evidence, and they wouldn't believe. Now notice what happens next. But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Jesus knew what they were thinking. Now, some of you might say, well, how did he know? Well, I know that he knew because that's what the Bible says. Listen, the Bible teaches that Jesus is fully God and that Jesus is fully man and, and uh, how they all fit together, I, I, I don't know. But it seems like sometimes when we look at Jesus, we see his humanity and sometimes we look at Jesus and we see his deity. It seems to me here he knows what they were thinking. That's really not what concerns me. You know what concerns me? He knows what, <laughs> what I'm thinking. And he knows what you're thinking. And if you think I look bad on the outside, it's way, way worse where on the inside. He knows our thinking. We can hide from others, but not from him. So notice what he says. Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Which do you think is easier? Hmm? What would you say? Um, now, most people would say, well, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven because who can tell? But if you say, get up and walk, you better be able to back it up. To be honest with you, I think they're both rather hard, don't you? Uh, I can't forgive someone for their sins, can you? And, and I can't speak to someone who, who's, who's lame and, and have them get up and walk. But listen, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he has the authority to forgive sins. And, and he is God, and he can heal the, the, the paralytic. Um, but think of this. When we think of which is easier, Jesus is going to heal this man with a word, isn't he? But it one comes to forgiving, and what's it going to require? It's going to require Jesus coming and going to the cross and bearing our sins, right? Notice what Jesus says next but so that you may know. See the word so that? <laughs> Those two words go together 979 times in the Bible. So that, often in the Bible, this happens so that, this happens so that. So notice what he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, notice Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite way of describing himself. That's how he referred to himself more often than anything else. Over 80 times he calls himself the Son of Man. And that comes from Daniel 7, from a prophecy in Daniel 7, that the Son of Man would come, the Messiah would come. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man. I am the Savior. I am God in the flesh, the Messiah. 
but so that you may know who I am. As God in the flesh, the Son of Man, has authority on earth to forgive sins, so that you might know that I can do what people's greatest need is to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, and he picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. <laughs> See that word glorifying God? Interesting, the, the Greek word for that word is doxology. What do you think we get from that? What do you think, what? Doxology, you ever been in a church where they sing, what glory be to the Father and to the Son? And that's what the word glorifying means to make much of, to speak of. When he left, you know what he said? Jesus called me friend. Jesus called me friend. Jesus said to me, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Listen, Jesus said, get up. Jesus healed me. He told everyone. When was the last time you told someone? Jesus calls me friend. Jesus calls me friend. Jesus has forgiven me. He's forgiven me of all my sins. Jesus has saved me. Has it been a while? Immediately, he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Don't we gather each week? Don't we gather and hear what God has done for us? Do we leave and share with others what great things God has done for us? They were all struck with astonishment. <laughs> that word astonishment is an interesting word. Look at this word. It's ecstasis. What do you think we get from that? Ecstasy or ecstatic. Oh. What, what it's saying is, listen, it blew their minds. They pinched themselves. They said, did we see what we saw? Did we see Jesus say to someone, friend? Did we see Jesus say, your sins are forgiven you? Did we see someone come in lame and walk out? Did we see that? They were all struck with amazing amazement and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying we have seen remarkable things today the question of all questions is who is Jesus isn't it isn't that what everything turns on who is Jesus isn't that what the story is about who is Jesus and you know what we see in the story some people respond to the question with unbelief God was in the house and they refused to believe and they refused to believe but we also see the response of faith don't we we see friends if we can just get our friends to Jesus if we can just get our friends to Jesus they had faith didn't they and we see the paralytic and the paralytic gets up and walks oh how did he come into the house he came into the house hell-bound on a stretcher, didn't he? Didn't he? And he leaves how? He leaves as a friend of God. He leaves heaven-bound. He leaves carrying the stretcher that he walked in on. Oh, 
We have heard remarkable things today too, have we not? So listen, disciples, disciples trust Jesus. That means disciples believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus, have you? Starting with the bad news, they agree with Jesus with the bad news that our greatest need is not to walk. Our greatest need is forgiveness because we have a problem called sin. In Romans 3, verse 23, will you read this with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's do it one more time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, who has sinned? You ever wonder what's wrong with the world? You know what's wrong? We've all sinned. You know what's wrong with all of us? We've sinned. Do you know what sin is? Sin is a crime against God. I have asked so many people, why should God let you into heaven? And person after person says, I've never hurt anyone. It takes self-restraint to say, you've got to be kidding me, right? Can I ask your mom? Can I ask your spouse? You've never hurt anyone? But no one understands sin is not primarily hurting others. Sin is a crime against God. The first commandment, God says, I want first place in your life, and we say, no. And the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother, and we say to God, no. And the seventh commandment is you shall not commit adultery, and we look God in the face and say, no. And the ninth commandment is you shall not bear false witness, and we look God in the face and say, no. And the tenth commandment is you shall not covet, and we look God in the face and say, no. What do you think? What do you think is the penalty for a crime against God? What do you think? The Bible tells us, doesn't it? In Romans 6, 23, uh, doesn't the Bible say, for, for the wages of sin is death, doesn't it? Now notice that, that because we've committed crimes against God, what we deserve is death. And when the Bible says that, it's not speaking simply of physical death. Physical death is when our bodies and spirits are separated from one another at the end of life on earth. But it's speaking of eternal death, which is the separation of our body and spirit from God forever. That's what hell is. Hell is a separation not only from God, but from all good things. In this life, we get to enjoy sunshine and food and family, but hell will be not only a separation from God, but from all good things. You see, disciples believe the bad news of the gospel, that we have sinned against God and we're in big trouble, but they also believe the good news, that our greatest need is for a Savior, and there is a Savior. I mean, it is the Christmas season, right? And Mary comes to Joseph, and she's pregnant. And Mary says, it's not what you think. This child is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph doesn't believe, right? And so an angel comes and says what? He, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When we understand the bad news that we have committed crime after crime against God, Christmas is amazing. A Savior has been born. So God the Son put on flesh and came to earth to save us from our sins. That Jesus 
lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then he took our sins. And he took the wages of sin that's death, and he died in our place. You ever think of what that would be like? Jesus had never sinned, not even once. And then he took our sins on himself, and he died in our place. He died for our sins. He took the wages of sin that's death so that we could have a free gift of eternal life. He took our sins upon himself, died in our place, paying in full the penalty for our sins and rising on the third day. The reason we know that he paid it in full is he walked out proving he had conquered sin and death, and he offers us a free gift of eternal life. He offers us salvation. And what does he require of us? I mean, how do we find forgiveness for our sins? How can we be saved and have eternal life? The question was asked so clearly by a jailer in Philippi who asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And if we've ever seen our sin and understood the trouble we're in, isn't that the question? What do I need to do to be saved? And notice what they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus? We love to say it's as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit, where we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And if you've not done that, won't you do that? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Notice again what he says, believe in the Lord Jesus. The, the name Jesus means Savior. He will save us from our sin. So it means that we trust Jesus, our, our Savior. We don't trust in our good works. We trust that Jesus died and rose for us. We trust Jesus as Savior. But to commit, notice as well, it's to believe in the Lord Jesus. So we trust Jesus as Savior and also as Lord. We say the rebellion stops today. Today I surrender. <laughs> From this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you. Won't you? Won't you admit and believe and commit? If you do, you will be saved. And if you have, I want you to hear something. If you think it would be great to be you know, healed from being a paralytic, listen to this. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. If you're saved, Jesus calls you friend. You're no longer a child of wrath. You're his friend. And you know what he tells you? Your sins are forgiven you. Maybe I'm the only one in this room who sins, but I lay down at night and I am so overwhelmed by all of my failures. <laughs> and you know what Jesus says? Friend, your sins are forgiven you. What would you pay to go to bed tonight knowing you're forgiven? Jesus forgives us. And one of the things that comforts me so much is this verse in, in, in Psalms where Jesus reminds me, um, Psalm 103, 12, look, look at this verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Let me share it with you one more time. Now listen, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus is not only a wonderful savior, he knows geography really well. 
Have you ever paid attention to the verse? Do you notice it says as far as what? The east is from the west. You ever notice it doesn't say as far as the north is from the south? You know why? Here's why. Because if I go north and keep going, what's going to happen? Eventually what? I'm going to start doing what? Help me. I'm going to go over the top and I'm going to be going south. So eventually north meets south. But you know what? If you go east and keep east, going east, you'll never meet west. You'll just keep going east. So Jesus whispers to me, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. You know how wonderful it is to know that my sins, past, present, and future, are gone, and I bear them no more. Oh, dear people, disciples believe in Jesus, and they know. They know they're a friend of God. They know they're forgiven. Oh, to trust Jesus, disciples trust Jesus means they follow Jesus. They follow Jesus. I mean, it makes sense to follow him, doesn't he? Listen to this. <clears throat> Jesus said, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. So Jesus calls him friend. Jesus heals him. Jesus forgives him. So what does he do? Immediately, he got up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. He began to follow Jesus. It makes sense, right? He forgives you. He saves you. You follow him, right? Should happen in my life. <laughs> Jesus called me friend. I want to follow him. Jesus has saved me from hell. I want to follow him. He's forgiven all my sins. He says, follow me. I want to, don't you? Just makes sense. So if you say, well, Smelly, do you always follow Jesus? <laughs> I would say I follow him except when I don't, right? I love my, the way my wife Karen puts it. She says, like, to follow Jesus, it's like having a plane with an automatic pilot. And if you set the automatic pilot, let's say, on Barcelona, Spain, it doesn't mean the plane never leaves the, 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 gets off course, but it's continually coming back. It's continually coming back. That's true of my life. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. There's no do I get off course? Oh, I do. Do you? But I'm not going back. You know what? I'm coming back. And I'm coming back. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, help me to follow you. I want to follow you. I love you. Help me. That's what disciples do, right? They trust Jesus. They trust Jesus for salvation. They trust Jesus in life, and they follow him. And disciples trust Jesus, and they, they fish for people. They fish for men. Because Jesus said to us, what, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so they trust Jesus and they began to fish for men. What we have for an action step this week, what we would love for you to do this week, is love for you to invite someone to come and see Jesus, to come and see Jesus. We have some really nice invitations, and several of you have been sharing with me your story. Someone said, listen, I went to the hairdresser, and when I went, I said, do you have a place to celebrate Christmas Eve? And they said, no, and I gave them, no, and I gave them an invitation, said, come and see Jesus. And I've been with people in restaurants, and they asked the server, do you have a place to celebrate Christmas Eve? No, well, come and see Jesus. Invite someone this week to come and see Jesus on, on Christmas Eve. Listen, you can do it. You can do it. Got another idea, too. Uh, here it is. Why not this week? Why not this week? This man 
went out glorifying God. This week, when someone asks you, what'd you do this weekend? If someone asks you, what did you do this weekend? Why don't you share with them? I heard the most amazing story ever. Would you like to hear it? And listen, maybe, maybe no one asked you what you did this weekend. Why not go to someone this week and say, I heard this week the greatest story ever. Would you like to hear it? And if they say no, that's okay. But if they say yes, why don't you just open up your Bible to Luke 5 and say, why don't you read verses 17 to 26? Many people have never read the Bible. Why don't you invite them to come and see Jesus? And as they read these verses, just say, what do you learn about Jesus? What do you learn about people? What do you think Jesus might be calling you to do? You can do it. Just listen, the greatest story ever. What do you learn about Jesus? What do you learn about people? What is Jesus calling you to do? Oh, there's so many things I love about this story. But one thing I love about this story is these four friends did what they could. They weren't worried about what they couldn't do. I talk to so many Christians today who are so discouraged. Smiley, do you see what's happening in our country? Do you see what's happening in Washington? You know what I love about these guys? The Roman government was very corrupt and immoral, but it didn't paralyze them. And, and Israel was occupied by Roman occupiers, but they weren't paralyzed. You know what they said? We have a friend. And we want to bring him to Jesus. And they did what they could to bring a friend to Jesus. And you say, well, it didn't change the Roman Empire. Well, it sure changed one person's life, didn't it? It certainly changed one person's eternity. Oh, dear people, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Will we? People's greatest need is not to elect the right person. People's greatest need is the forgiveness of their sins. People's greatest need is a Savior. And what if we said this week, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I want to bring a friend to Jesus. And you say, well, that's just one person. Well, it'll make a difference in their life and their eternity. And then what if that was, what if that was a thousand people who did that? What would happen? So remember, okay, disciples trust Jesus. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So this week as you go out, as you go out, invite someone. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you came to seek and save sinners. Our greatest need you came for. Thank you. Thank you for dying and rising and offering us salvation. Listen, if you've never been saved, won't you today, won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. 
And won't you commit to him, Jesus, I want you to be my savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? Oh, and if you have, mark it on your card. We'd love to celebrate with you. Tell someone it'll make Jesus more real to you. Lord, I pray for those of us who've believed in you that we would remember today that you call us friends, that we would remember that you have saved us and forgiven us, and this week we would want to follow you. And Lord, I pray this week that we would remember that the people around us, their greatest need is Jesus. Lord, may each of us this week have an opportunity to invite someone. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.